And I, I felt like doing a throwback to back when we did whiteboards every night. And I was like, you know what? I haven't like written on a whiteboard in a hot second. So I was like, I kind of want to write on a whiteboard. And so I am. And that's how that decision went. Um, <laughs> so guys, recap for me what we've talked about so far in First Peter. What are we talking about? What is First Peter about? We, it's had like the same title basically every single week. So what is First Peter about? Every single message, we've had the same basic structure. It's been something through submission, something through suffering, something through marriage. What has that something been? It starts with a W. Who remembers? It's basically sharing the gospel. There it is, witnessing. Yes, witnessing. So basically, the entire book of 1 Peter has been about witnessing. And what is witnessing? What is witnessing? It's sharing the gospel with what? With your... With your life. So it's sharing the gospel with your life. And who remembers the different ways, like the different things that we've shared the gospel through? I said most of them like a second ago. Who can give me one or two? Anyone? I kind of have to like revamp this because last week we, we missed it because it was Thanksgiving. So I need to get you guys back on track. What are some things that you share the gospel by doing? How about the way that you treat your teachers? What was it? Yeah, you live as an example of the gospel. So you're kind of living out the gospel. So you live out the gospel. How's a way that you might live out the gospel in your school, for example? Yes, respect your teachers the way that God wants you to respect them. That's one of the ways. What's another thing that we looked at? Who remembers the most recent message? We were making a big deal out of this because I've hit almost every passage in the New Testament that deals with this issue. What did we talk about last time? Taylor's pointing at one of her fingers. What might be on that finger in perhaps a year's time? Yeah, witnessing through marriage. That's right. I know, right? Literally pointing at the ring finger on your left hand, like. <laughs> but we've been talking about sharing the gospel. Now, what is something that's really interesting that we haven't talked about in a series about sharing the gospel? We've talked about witnessing through your life, but what have we not talked about? It's the title of tonight's message. It's on the board actually sharing the gospel, right? We have gone for an entire, I think it's like four or five messages. Let me actually count five messages. We've done five messages on a book that is all about sharing the gospel, and we haven't talked about sharing the gospel even once, right? So that should be a little bit weird to you, right? You're like, okay, what is this series actually about, John? I feel like you've been lying to us, but this is the message that we get to where it all comes together, as some dude from the A-team once said. Who was that guy? Starts with an H, I think. Yeah, I don't know. What was the guy's name? Like Hector? I haven't seen that in so long. What is it? I haven't seen that movie. It's not even played. 
Yeah, the A team. I don't know. Who's the guy in charge of that team? Someone. He's always like, I love it when a plan comes together. Well, this plan's about to come together. Put a cigar in Peter's mouth and let him just like dramatically put his shades on. Anyways, but if you remember in the last section, Peter broke the flow. So he was talking about submission. He's like, you got to submit to your leaders. You got to submit to your government. You got to submit to your boss. We talked about submitting to your parents. And then Peter was like, you got to submit to suffering. Suffering is going to come your way if you live like a Christian. And then he was like, wives, you got to submit to your husbands. But then he broke his flow and he was like, husbands, get your stuff together. So right now we're still in that break of flow. We are still kind of in that little like, Side note, and so Peter needs to rein it all back in. He needs to be like, yo, let's get to the point. So in verse 8, it says, finally, or another translation, the NASB says, to sum up. In conclusion, to say what I've already said, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may, excuse me, obtain a blessing. So basically what he just said, he said, finally, all of you have unity of mind. And he's recapping what we talked about in the first lesson. In chapter one, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Like we talked about in the very first message, what does God do to save someone? And what does it mean to be righteous and to be holy as a result of that? That was the first couple messages that we did. So he just recapped that. And then if you go in verse 10, it says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So what did he just do? He just categorized the world into two groups. What two groups did he just categorize the world into? Right at the very end of verse 11 or verse 12. I can't count. What two groups did he just categorize the world into? Who can tell me? Faithful and the unfaithful. Or what are the words that the verse uses? The righteous and the unrighteous. Yeah, so good, evil, faithful, unfaithful, righteous, unrighteous. He just categorized the world into two groups. Man, two groups. I feel like I've heard that exact phrase somewhere before. (laughs) What are the two groups in the world? Who remembers? Saved and unsaved. Christians and non-Christians. We talked about that just a little bit after the last thing that we talked about. So he just summarized chapter one, and now he just addressed what we talked about in chapter two. There are two groups in the world. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. If you're a Christian, you're pursuing righteousness, and if you're a non-Christian, you're not. But then he goes on, and he says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Which, didn't we talk about that? That when you suffer for a good reason, God's like putting money in your tip jar. Like when one customer's yelling at you and the other customer's like, wow, money in your tip jar, money in your tip jar. And we talked about how when you're suffering on the world, God's looking at you and he's like, hey, I'm paying you back for that. Money in your tip jar. Like we talked about that too. So he just addressed the next lesson after that. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. So what we just talked about is suffering for the gospel. He basically just went through and recapped stuff that we have been talking about for the last few weeks. He talked about salvation. He talked about loving each other in unity as a family. He talked about humility, which that's what we talked about when we were talking about the husband and the wife, that what fuels that is humility. And then he talked about the two groups in the world, which we talked about that a few weeks ago too. So he's basically like, okay, guys, I've talked to you about all of this stuff. Let me remind you what I've said. Because again, what have we been waiting for this entire message? This entire series about sharing the gospel, what have we been waiting for someone to finally tell us how to do? Share the gospel, gospel, right? And so Peter, he's finished all of this, and I want to know, have any of you guys seen the movie The Karate Kid? So specifically the one with Jackie Chan, because I don't care about people that aren't Jackie Chan. (laughs) Like, you guys know that movie with Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan? Who's seen it? Yeah, Will Smith's son. Yeah, yeah, Will Smith's son. Have you guys all seen it? What does Mr. Miyagi, I think, is he Mr. Miyagi in that movie? I don't know. Or Mr., I don't know. I can't remember. He's the kung fu teacher. He, basically. So Jackie Chan's character, what does he tell Jaden Smith to do? He comes to his house, and he, he walks him out to a peg in his backyard slash garage. Yeah. Exactly. He puts his coat up. He puts his jacket on. And then he puts his jacket on the ground. And then he picks it up and puts it on the hook. And he does it with attitude. And he does that for days. And Jaden's like, why are you having me do this? What does this have to do with learning how to fight? Right? And do you guys remember the scene where Jackie Chan walks over after Jaden's like fed up and he's walking out the door and he's like, come over here. And so he walks up and he's like, put on your jacket. And then he rips the jacket away and he chucks it aside and he's like, put on your jacket. And then all of a sudden he starts fighting with Jaden and you realize that, oh, I thought he was just putting a jacket on a peg, but he's apparently been drilling specific movements, which is probably not realistic, but that's beside the point. It's a movie. Like you guys know that scene where it's like, oh, all of this stuff that I thought was unrelated to what I asked you about is actually really important. That's literally what Peter is about to talk about. It's like, imagine that you walked up to Peter and you were like, Peter, how do I share the gospel? How do I evangelize? How do I live and actually fulfill my mission as a Christian? And then Peter's like, how are you doing at work? Are you submitting to your boss? I mean, what does that have to do with evangelism? Are you submitting to your boss? Uh, Yeah, I can, I can submit to my boss. Okay. Um, are you, are you paying taxes? Are you submitting to the government? Peter, what does this have to do with sharing the gospel? How do I share the gospel with my coworker? How do I share the gospel with my neighbor? How do I share the gospel with my kids? Um, well, how are you treating your wife? Are you loving your wife? Are you being humble towards your wife? And you're like, Peter, I want to know how to share the gospel. Why won't you just answer my question? And then he's like, hold on for a second. Didn't you realize? Because then he goes on in verse 15. And he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it in gentleness and respect. Because what have we been talking about will happen to you if you live like this? 
if you respect your authorities the way that you're supposed to, if you bear up under suffering and you don't get angry at people, like when your teacher, she gives you detention for a completely bad reason and you still have a good attitude towards her, or when you're respectful to your boss at work, or when you function in a marriage the way that, you got, or the way that God tells you to, what does that make you do? Is everyone living like that? Is that how normal people live? So what does it make you do? I think I heard you say it. It makes you different. It makes you, different. It makes you stand out, right? We, I kept talking to you guys about that. I said, if you go through your marriage like this, you will stand out. If you interact with your teacher like this, you will stand out. If you respect authority like this, you will stand out. People don't act like this. And so Peter's talking about all of this, and you're like, Peter, how do I share the gospel? Well, are you respectful to your parents? Are you respectful to your teachers? Are you kind and submissive to your government leaders? Are you kind to your spouse? What does that have to do with sharing the gospel, Peter? It makes you stand out. Because then people ask questions. A while back, I talked to you guys about how if you are a Christian, you are a missionary. We talked about it in that in 1 Corinthians. And I said that you have a specific mission field. It was a while back, so I don't know if you, any of you guys will remember, but do you remember what I said your field is? The world. It is the world, but specifically, it's your relationships. It's the people you're friends with. It's the people at your job. It's the people in school with you. It's the people that you see from day to day throughout your life. That's your mission field. Because I want you to imagine, imagine that you have a person and 100% of the time that they spend outside of work, they like go to a beach somewhere and they evangelize strangers. So 40 hours a week, they're at work, you know, living their secular life. They're not even thinking about it. And then let's say that they're really like into it. So like eight hours a week, they're at the beach evangelizing a bunch of strangers. It sounds like they're evangelizing for eight hours a week. But how about this? Imagine that you're a Christian and imagine that all of the time that you spend around your classmates and coworkers and teacher, all that 40 hours a week that you think you're just working, you're actually learning how to evangelize those people. How many hours a week are you spending evangelizing? 48. Yeah. If you're actively evangelizing people in your day-to-day life, that means that the vast majority of your life is being spent evangelizing. If you learn how to evangelize at school, you spend a lot of time at school, don't you? If you learn how to evangelize on your sports team, if you learn how to evangelize at work, you're going to end up spending a lot of your life evangelizing. And Peter is saying, go out into the world and be a Christian. And if you actually live like a Christian, people are going to ask questions. And I want to give you an example. I was working at Starbucks for a pretty long time. And there was a specific shift lead. And at this point, I had been working at this Starbucks for a few months. And I, people knew I was a Christian. They knew that I went to church. I talked to them about it. And so I wasn't like walking into work every day and sharing the gospel with people, but people knew I was a Christian. They knew that I could have those conversations. So this shift lead, he gets there and I've been interacting with him and we really hit it off. Like he, for some reason, liked my sense of humor, which is actually a very rare thing. And he laughed at like every joke I told. And I was like, this guy's either lying to me, making fun of me, or we actually jive on this. It turns out we jived. So for like 
two or three weeks. We're working together regularly, and I haven't talked to him about the gospel once. And then I'm washing dishes in the back, and he walks into the back room, and he says, so John, I hear that you're the God guy. And I'm like, sure, let's do it. And so I talked to him like, yeah, I guess you could call me that. Sure, I'm a Christian. And then I'm like, why? What do you, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, well, I mean, let me talk to you about what I think about God. And I'm like, okay. So I spent this entire interaction for like 20 minutes listening to him talk to me about what he thinks about God. And I'm like, hey, man, cool. And I'm asking him questions and I'm like all that. And I'm like, hey, well, here's what I believe about God. I'm a Christian. I believe X, Y, Z. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about if you ever want to talk to me about it again. And in that interaction, I didn't share the gospel with him. And then a few weeks later, a couple months later, he and I were having a conversation. I don't remember what brought this up. Like maybe I gave someone my number. I don't know. Um, such a common occurrence. <laughs> not, not actually. Um, but he asked me, and I don't remember why, but he asked me if I would ever date a non-Christian. And I said, no. And he's like, well, why wouldn't you date a non-Christian? And I said, well, the thing is, the most important thing to me in my life is my relationship with Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, it means you hate God. Why would I, if the most important thing in my life is God, date and marry someone who hates God? That doesn't make sense. And we had that conversation, and then that turned into him talking to me about how he feels like he doesn't deserve to be able to repent and to be able to go to God, because despite growing up around people who taught him about God, he rejected it and lived contrary to that. And I was like, here's the thing, man. You're right. You don't deserve it. That's not the point. And I told him, dude, Jesus paid for all of your sins, not because you deserved it, but because he loves you anyway. And it's dumb for you out of some sense of penance to refuse to go to God because you feel like you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it either. Repent. Be saved. And at the tail end of this entire like multi-month interaction where, this, me, where me and this guy were just friends at work, cracking jokes, making lattes together, at the end of that months of like slowly building up to it, I finally actually shared the gospel with him. And even now, I still have a relationship with him. He still knows me and I still know him. And if you notice, I didn't give him like this polished gospel presentation, I answered his questions and I addressed the things that were specific to him because I knew him. And I didn't go to him, introduce myself, say, hello, my name is John Horning. Would you like to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Right? That's not what happened. I was at work. I was living like a Christian. People knew I was a Christian and he sought me out. He said, I heard you're the God guy. Why don't you date non-Christians? Can you help me with this question? Another time when I was back at my store in LA, we were having a particularly terrible shift and it was just a really bad time. It was close and we ended up staying an hour and a half after close extra because it was just one of those days and it was such a nightmare. And I was telling him stories and I was like, yeah, you guys want to hear this? My brother's favorite Bible story. It's really funny. And then I told him the story of Ehud, the left-handed man who plunged his sword into a fat king's stomach. And the king was so fat that it enclosed the sword and he couldn't get it out. And then he fled out of the top door of the room. And then the king's servants come by and the door's locked and they're like, man, it smells bad in there. He must just be relieving himself. That's in the Bible. 
So I told that story and like we were having such a terrible shift that my coworkers were like, John, you want to just tell us another one? And for three and a half hours, as we're working this nightmare shift, I told basically the entire story of the Old Testament. I started, in, I started in Egypt, and I went until the divided kingdom, and I just told them stories throughout the entire Old Testament, and that's how we spent that shift. And I didn't share the gospel with them in that conversation, but those people knew I was a Christian, and I just, in my normal interactions with them, lived that out and talked to them about it whenever they asked me to. And one of the nice things about that is people never get angry at you for answering their questions. Well, sometimes they do. But generally speaking, if someone asks you, hey, what do you believe about God? And then you tell them, the result is not them never talking to you again. (laughs) Right? It's like, I've already got a relationship with these people. And so when they ask me questions, I tell them. Why don't you date non-Christians? Well, because I love God and I don't want to join myself to someone who hates God. Also, the Bible says it. But like... Be ready to give a hope for the, to give a, be ready. I'm actually just going to read the verse. Um, It says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter, how do I share the gospel? Live the way that you're supposed to and wait. Go to your work, go to your government, go to your spouse interact with people the way that God tells you to, you will stand out and people will ask you questions. And so a lot of times we think, oh, to share the gospel, I have to go to the beach somewhere and evangelize. No. Live like a Christian and be ready to explain why. But then the second point is the message of the gospel. Because I said, you know, in those specific interactions, I didn't necessarily give the guy a gospel presentation. I answered his specific questions. But it's extremely important to know what the message is. Because in the next verse, it says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer doing good than, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. And that's just a conclusion to the last thought where you're going to have people that hate your message. There's going to be people that hate what the Bible says. Jesus literally says that. It says in John 3, 19 to 20, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, this is the judgment. The light, which is referring to him, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The world hates the gospel. So when you share the gospel with them, John says in verse 18 of chapter 15, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So we see that the world hates the message we share. But notice it said, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Have you ever been... Well, I guess, I, so for me specifically, I've been in situations where I talked to you guys, I think in the gender lesson, that a lot of my friends in high school were gay or LGBT and all that good stuff. Like about half of them actually. And those people knew what I believed and they hated it. But I was still friends with them. And when you are a Christian, you should act in such a way that you love people and that you're kind to people. And then when you give them the truth, 
they're going to hate the truth that you give them, but they're going to like you. And they're going to be like, this guy's always really nice to me. He clearly doesn't hate me, but how could he say something like that? And it makes them think about it. And earlier in first Peter in chapter one, let me actually find it in chapter one. In chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Who glorifies God? Who makes it their business to glorify God? Or I guess you could say to worship God. Who worships God? Any guesses? Do any of you guys worship God? Why? People who worship God, what, are the, what do we call those? Worshippers. Worshippers? It starts with a C. Christians. Christians. <laughs> so in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, live among the Gentiles so that when they see your behavior and hear your message, they convert. Right? Because they hate the message, but when they see you, it causes them to think about it. And so a large part of your testimony is how you live. But then now we get to the kicker. Now we get to the message of the gospel. In verse 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Do you know what I just read? In very short terms, I just read the gospel message. We've been in this book that's all about sharing the gospel with the world, and it took us three chapters and 18 verses to actually get to a gospel presentation. There it is. What is the message of the gospel? That Jesus Christ came and suffered for your sins. That despite being righteous, he suffered for the unrighteous so that we could come to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. What's the gospel? The gospel is that you and me are sinners. The gospel is that as sinners, we deserve hell. We deserve death. The gospel is that despite the fact that we deserve hell and death as sinners, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins, to live a perfect life that we never could, so that if we repent and believe in him, we can have eternal life. It's very important that all of you can share the gospel in two sentences. Because if you understand the gospel message, it means you can actually answer questions that people give you. And when people come up to you and they say, why are you living like that? Here's why. Peter, how do I share the gospel? Are you submitting to your government? Are you submitting to suffering? Are you living with your spouse the way that you should be living with your spouse? People will ask you, tell them this. And that's how you share the gospel. Because if you can share the gospel for eight hours a week on weekends at the beach somewhere, that's less time than if you spend the 40 hours a week you spend at school or at work or anywhere else learning how to share the gospel there. Live your life as a Christian. Be ready to explain why you do the things that you do and know the gospel message so that when people ask you for it, you can give it to them. Have you guys ever seen SpongeBob? 
Have you ever seen the episode where Plankton gets the crusty, like the uh, the secret formula, and he gets into the like into the oh, what's it called? The lobby, I think it is. Not the lobby. It's not the lobby. What's the cafe? What is it called? Krusty Krab. I don't know. Yeah. What's the eating area called in the restaurant? Dining area. Yeah. So he gets into the dining area and he's got the secret formula in his hands. And then SpongeBob says, well, what are you going to do now? And then Plankton says, I've never gotten this far. Like he's never actually gotten the formula out of the safe. Have you ever been like, let's just imagine for a moment that you share the gospel with someone that you've lived your life the way that you're supposed to. And then they say, you know what? I want to accept it. I believe didn't think I'd ever get this far. The issue is this. What do you do with someone once they become a Christian? What do you do with someone after you've shared the gospel with them? Um, Luckily, Peter tells us that too. So the last thing, and I'm going to be quick here, is the response to the gospel. What does someone do once they accept the gospel? So I'm going to read the rest of this section It says, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So he's referencing an Old Testament story. You should read your Old Testament. It's very valuable. Um, Basically, God says to Noah, build an ark. And at that time, it had never rained on the earth. And so everyone's like, why are you building a massive boat? And Noah's like, because it's going to rain. And everyone's like, what's rain? So Noah spends a super long time building this boat, preaching repentance to the people of the world, and they all ignore him. And what happened to them? They died. died. But who lived? Noah. Noah. Why did Noah live? He obeyed God. God. And what happened before Noah could obey God? Before Noah ever started building the ark, it said that Noah found favor in the eyes of God, and then God went to him and told him to build the ark. So who saved Noah? God did, right? Noah was saved by faith. God said, yo, it's going to rain. A bunch of water is going to come down out of the sky, and the entire world's going to flood. Build a boat. And Noah could have been like, lol. (laughs) What? (laughs) That was a weird voice I heard. (laughs) Noah could have not believed him. But then Noah believed him, and Noah's belief ended up saving him, similarly to how Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Peter's like, remember that? Well, verse 20, sorry, verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ Jesus, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So what do you do when someone says, you know what, that sounds good, I want to accept that? You baptize them. So we need to talk about what baptism is. So does anyone happen to know what baptism means? The word itself. I'd actually be surprised if anyone did. So baptized, baptism, it's transliterated from Greek, and it means dunked. It means dunked, like dunked underwater. Like a dunk tank. Dunk tank, yeah, like a dunk tank. So it means dunked. Do you know why it's translated baptism? Because at the time that the English translation was being made, it was really popular in the church to sprinkle people, which we see that too. And so, 
instead of like, you know, shaking people's theology by actually translating what the word means, he was like, let's just transliterate that one so that no one actually realizes. How do you dunk people? By sprinkling water on their face. Of course. So literally baptism is dunked. Every single time you see baptism in the, in the Bible, someone is getting dunked underwater. So in case you're wondering how to baptize someone, dunk them. Moving on. Um, so when it says that baptism now saves you, that's a little bit weird, right? But here's the thing. In the Bible, baptism is never separated from belief. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, 13, it says that even Simon himself, this is referring to a dude that got converted, after being, he, uh, Simon himself believed, and then after being baptized, he continued with Philip. So you believe and you get baptized. You believe, you get baptized. And baptism, it symbolizes death. When you go under the water, that's symbolizing death. And when you come out of the water, that's symbolizing rebirth. Because it's symbolizing a spiritual reality, something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and this is how we know that baptism doesn't save you. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. Nothing you actively do saves you, right? So if I go to a pastor and I say, hey, dunk me underwater, getting dunked underwater is not saving you. But instead, in Luke 3.16, when John the Baptist is walking around the world and he's baptizing people, he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John's like, I use water. He uses the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about baptism saving you, it's the Holy Spirit coming into you, right? Because he says, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. When you repent, when you repent of your sin and you say, God, save me, and you accept the gospel, that's what saves you. The same way that the thief on the cross, he said, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this day you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross was never baptized. It's not what saves you. But imagine for a moment that you're on a basketball team. And let's say that you get transferred from one basketball team to another. Maybe you get transferred from the Lakers to, I don't know, what's another basketball team? I don't know the sport. Is, what's, what's another basketball team? I'm actually being serious. Oh, the Nets. What is it? What is it? The Nets. The Nets? Perfect. So let's say that someone gets transferred from the Mets to the Lakers. Are they still a member of the Lakers? Have they, let's just say, okay, have they ever worn a jersey for the Lakers? Have they? If they get transferred from the Mets to the Lakers and they're still living wherever it is the Mets are, are they, have they ever even seen a Lakers? Like, have they ever worn a Lakers jersey if they're still there? Not yet. But let's say that they go over and then once they get to where the Lakers are, the Lakers hand them a jersey and then they put the jersey on. So they put the jersey on and that represents what team they're on, right? They're like, yo, telling the world, Lakers brazened across their chest. I'm a part of the Lakers. Were they a part of the Lakers once they put the jersey on? Or before they put the jersey on? Before, before they put the jersey on. But let's say for a moment that you go and you're at the Lakers and you're like, you know what? I could wear a Lakers jersey. I refuse. I'm going to keep wearing the Mets jersey. Would that make sense? 
Are you going to have a dude running around in the court? Like maybe it's the Lakers against some other basketball team that I don't know the name of. And um, you've just got one guy kind of running around with the Mets jersey. Like, would that make sense? You wear the jersey of the team that you're on. And wearing the jersey doesn't mean you're on the team. But if you're on the team, you wear the jersey. And that's exactly what baptism is. Baptism is something that you do publicly to be like, hey, I'm a Christian. Before, I wasn't a Christian. Now, I am a Christian. Let me tell the world that. What saves you is not going under the water, but you would never be a Christian and not go under the water. When you get saved, you should get baptized. There's a much larger discussion to have about that. There was kind of a lot we had to talk about today, so it took a long time, but case lavier. Um, I'm going to bow our heads. We're going to pray it out. But just as a final thought, um, share the gospel with your life. Your mission on this earth is to share the gospel. And you might not have realized it, but this entire series has been about sharing the gospel. And then when you live the way that you're supposed to live, people will ask questions. And when they ask questions, answer them. Know how to answer them. Know what the gospel is so that when someone asks you what the gospel is, you can share it with them. And while you're waiting for someone to ask you, pray that they would. Have specific people at your school at your job that you are praying for, that you are praying for opportunities to talk to, and then God will have them talk to you. And when that happens, share. And they might reject it. The guy that I talked about today still is not a Christian, but we've had plenty of conversations and one of them might work out. So share the gospel with your life. Lord, thank you that you've given us the gospel and thank you that you've given us a role in it, that we have a job to do. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do our job well, to live as Christians, to stand out as Christians, to live the way that we ought to live, do the things that we ought to do. And then when people ask us why, help us to be ready to give an answer. I pray that we wouldn't live exactly like the world so that no one asks us why. I especially pray that we wouldn't live in a way that makes people hate us so that when we share the gospel with them, they have what they think is good reason to ignore it. I pray that we wouldn't be a stain on the reputation of Christianity, but instead that we would live the way that we're supposed to live and share the gospel and then have power in that. Lord, give us strength in that. Help your spirit to fill us and to make our gospel witness effective. Amen.